Hello and welcome to the latest Science Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Reiner van Gaal Appelhof. So Reiner is the Head of Sports Science and Strength and Conditioning at FC Utrecht, a team in the Dutch Eredivisie. He's worked at the club for over five years in a variety of different roles and of course has worked alongside some fantastic practitioners and coaches in that time. As part of his practice at FC Utrecht, he uses maximum intensity zones to make sure that his players are optimally prepared for every single game. So who better today to discuss how you can use maximum intensity zones to improve your sporting performance? So without further ado, it's time to welcome Reiner onto the show. So Reiner, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks, Matt. Thanks a lot. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm, uh, I've been listening for quite some while now, so uh, it's an honor. Oh, it's always great to have people who listen and uh, and can contribute as well. So that's uh, a testament to some of the hard work that our previous guests have done. Um, but can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Rainer. I'm currently head of sports science at FC Utrecht, which is competing in the Dutch Eredivisie. And I'm currently in my sixth consecutive season. But prior to that, I uh, started my studies to become a PE teacher but along the way, I already knew that I didn't see myself in front of a class full of children for the rest of my life. So um, I finished that one. And after that, I went abroad to Belgium. And there I obtained my master's in sports science from the Catholic University in, in Leuven. And I was lucky enough to be enrolled into a program to also obtain my coaching degree. So I did uh, my UEFA B and A, the elite youth, uh, also there. And when I finished the, in my second year of my master's, uh, I was lucky enough to go back to Holland. And then I was en- enrolled into a full-time internship at Ado Den Haag, at that time also uh, competing in the Dutch Eredivisie. And that got me uh, eventually to FC Utrecht, to where I am now. So Awesome, awesome. It's been a nice little journey then and uh, seen some different stuff in different places. Um, but when we look at your work in football, right, like... We want today to discuss maximum intensity periods. So those things seem like the things that can change games, right? So you need to be super fit for the one moment which could change a game, that really intense period, maybe with a sprint towards a goal or to, to uh, defend against someone who's going who's gonna to produce an insane sprint at the, at the last second. So what are those maximum intensity periods and, and how important are they in football? Yeah, max intensity periods are actually the time periods with peak physical demand, like you were mentioning. Um, and physical performance indicators are being studied a lot in professional team sports and football as well. But previous research mainly focused on fixed time frames. And what we learned from that in recent years that they might underestimate the peak physical demands uh, in a game. And like you were already mentioning, it's mostly... Um, it's a real chaotic nature, the game. So you have low intensity and high intensity um, movements which occur randomly. And it's really hard within that fixed time frame to really capture the most intensive passages of the match play. So, um, and the most decisive moments of a game, they occur with the high intensity type, type stuff like sprints, for instance, um, goal scoring situations, evading opponents. And those MIPs actually, they provide me and us as practitioners with some objective data to yeah, have more contextualized training prescription for your athletes. And, and do these factors determine the outcome in football or is it like uh, we need to be prepared for that situation? Is it, is it going to make the difference between winning the World Cup final 
or not losing the World Cup final? Well, as we all know, we train our athletes to, well, um, prevent injuries from happening, but also ensure optimal match performance, also from a physical point of view. So you can imagine if you're not training the way you play, uh, that might decrease your chance of winning. And that's, that's the reason we really want to be spot on with the intensity we do, um, both compared to the volume as well uh, with, with our athletes. And when you, when you have these, uh, these periods, you mentioned that it needs to be uh, like a rolling average. So instead of taking, let's say, I don't know, like five minutes and then comparing that to the next five minutes, that's then a rolling average. But how long do those blocks need to be? I, I've said five minutes, but it could be one, it could be 20. What, what kind of stuff is there a, from, from your experience in the literature which suggests what kind of time periods you should be using? Yeah, I think it should be guided by the practical application uh, you need it for. So what we what we use it for is, let's say we play a certain small-sided game for a certain specific duration, and that's where you can predefine your max intensity period for also when you play a game. So uh, we're lucky enough to have uh, tracking systems and software in which we can use that rolling average. So that's not a, a predefined starting and end point, uh, but it moves in time. So we're really focusing on and being spot on with what is the most demanding passage of, of, of the play. Um, so if you equal it to the duration of your small-sided games, you can use it from the game to the training sessions and, and monitor your, your athletes. And when you look at the, uh, the game itself, because you probably want to work back from that game and, and say, right, okay, we need to be prepared for, for the most intense moments of the most intense games. But when, when do those moments occur in games? Is it the, the first five minutes when everyone's fresh or is it like the last five minutes where it gets a bit chaotic and, and people are getting a bit more tired? Where, where does that happen? Yeah, that has a lot to do with the duration uh, you're using. So we did an internal research project on that and what we saw that uh, obviously the longer the time frame, the lower the values are because fatigue's kicking in. So a 20-minute uh, period compared to a one minute has really different values in it. Um, and there are absolute positional differences in it as well. So what we see is that the wingers, they, they tend to have the highest output on different metrics, whereas the center backs might have uh, lower intensity scores. And when do they happen? What we learned was that for total distance, for instance, um, they happen more during the first part of each half. So there's still freshness in the team. Uh, there might be some uh, tactical. Um, how, do you, how do you say that? There might be some tactical stuff which the coach wants the players to do. Uh, but for the high intensity running, that's something the players need to be doing during the entire course of the game. So what we saw that they were more evenly distributed throughout the game, and that might have something to do with the decisive moments you were mentioning. Players still need to be able to cover distance above a certain threshold. And that might even mean that they lower their outputs on total distance, for instance, to be fresh enough to still make those kind of sprints in the decisive moments of the game. And then you, you mentioned that the, the individual um, nature of position. Is, is it in the case that you need to be looking at this per player? Or can you do that as a team and say, right, our, our general team goals are to be able to produce these outcomes in these times? And then therefore we do uh, drill A, which might be, I don't know, four versus four um, with certain rules. So is it is it like a, a team-based decision or do you do it player by player? 
best case scenario is you would have it player by player, but th that is uh, a hard thing to do also for us uh, because that means a lot of analysis you need to do. But we, we make use of positional uh, groups so we can have a certain group of players mapped together and see whether what the intensity scores for that position is and how we need to prepare players within the game model the coach wants to play. Um, yeah, something like that. And then when you when you go to, to train these factors, um, I imagine you, you kind of want to get the, the worst case scenario, right? So people have said before, oh, we need to train for the worst case scenario, the worst five minutes, I mean, that intensity. And mm -hmm. some some other researchers have suggested that that might not be necessary and it might be a, a little bit of a waste of time in terms of training uh, investment. So what, what are your thoughts on that? Do we need to train for the worst case scenario in, in football? Yeah, I think let, let's take a step back also. Worst case scenario is, is uh, something you hear a lot, which is being used, but um, max intensity periods cover a univariate metric. So you have one, for instance, the total distance or the high intensity. And I think the true worst case scenario might be a combination of high outputs in total distance, but also acceleration, deceleration. So we always are a bit cautious with the determination we use. Um, but sorry, again, can you repeat the question? So like, what, what are your thoughts on using that worst case scenario as opposed to potentially an above threshold scenario where you're like, um, we need to do, I'm going to just throw in values, right? We need to do in uh, one minute, um, 50, 50 meters of distance, uh, 10 high intensity meters and five uh, accelerations, whatever. Like that's yeah. our, our threshold minimum, but our maximum might be double that for the worst case. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I got it. I got it. Uh, well, we, we tend to use within microcycle strategies for a periodization and a microcycle for us is a week to week. So it's a seven-day period of which we uh, take into account the last game we play, but also the next fixture, which is up in the table on the schedule. Um, and then we have differences in more recovery-type days, loading days, or more skill-based team tactical days. And what we see is that the most intense period of a game, it occurs only once during a game. So it, it doesn't make sense to be on that intensity level at all times because then, obviously, you also kill your players. Yeah. What we saw is that they spend more time within the 60 to 70% range for total distance and more in between 90 to 100% for the sprinting distance. So on our loading type days, we try uh, the, the small-sided game format we use. Then we really try to mimic, let's say we play a 6v6 for five minutes and then we want to hit the five-minute total distance max intensity period, if that makes sense. So during that specific block of the training, we're really targeting game intensity to prepare our players for the for those most demanding periods in play. Um, and typically what we see is that if you have a full week of training, four days or three days prior to the next game, those are the days in which we have the highest outputs from an intensity point of view, but also volume. And then we when we approach the next game on a minus two and one, then we lower the outputs and then it's more team tactical skill-based sessions. And how, how do you then change that throughout the year as well? Because obviously there's different times of the year. And I know in the Netherlands you get two weeks break at Christmas, but then like the second half of the year, obviously like fatigue starts to come in a little bit. You might get a few injuries throughout the season. How does that change through that, that week and month block all the way through to the, to the whole year? 
Yeah, the biggest challenge to us that is that within football, you have a really long season in which you have to play one or maybe maybe multiple matches a week. And you can't speak about peak performances there. In order to be successful, you really need to be constantly perform at the highest level possible. Um, so what we try to do is that the game and the way that the players um, execute the game model, they define the norm for themselves. So we always go back from, okay, where were we from an intensity point of view and how do we want to train that? And then by having that within microcycle strategies, we're able to give the players the optimal load, physical load they need, but also be aware that they have enough recovery time to be fresh enough to, pre- uh, to perform at the next game. So we tend to stabilize the load from week to week, more or less, with subtle differences, obviously. Um, yeah. That that's the way we try to approach it. Awesome. So, like, that's a really interesting insight into your your total planning. But I know that this is just one element of what you do, right? So, like, you have a, a really uh, interesting holistic approach to your your program. So, can you can you give us a little insight into how you use that kind of holistic approach um, around great variables and great science like this to to make sure that the players are optimally prepared? Yeah, so we always take into consideration the length of each microcycle. So sometimes we may face two games Sunday to Sunday, but it also sometimes happens that we have uh, a week from Sunday to Friday. And that really uh, is of, of, of huge, um, how do you say that? That determines how we uh, plan our week, schedule our week. Um, so it's just a minor, um, how, do you, how do you say that? It's just, one thing to have the intensity in, but from an holistic point of view, it also incorporates strength training sessions, uh, but also breathing sessions. And that's what I was mentioning to also prepare the players that they have enough recovery time in between. Uh, so after a heavy, intense training session on the pitch and in the gym, we would have players in the gym do a breathing session to trigger parasympathetic stimulus and let the recovery process kick in. So it's not only training but it's also recovery recovering hard i think that's a, that's a whole podcast in itself as well right like a really interesting yeah. podcast on, on how you can uh, you can get that switch into into recovery but before we wrap up i'm i'm interested to to see some like practical applications outside of the elite football world right so if you're an athlete or a coach who uh, may or may not have gps but wants to kind of use the this kind of theory like how how would you do that at a level which maybe um, is an amateur level or for an under 16s player who isn't an elite academy like yours? Yeah, I can't imagine that we're in the lucky position that we have those those systems available. But I think uh, you can look both from a coach perce- coach perspective and an athlete perspective. And as a coach, you should always be aware of what you expose your players to. So. What you can do is you can alter pitch dimensions or relative area per player to have specific uh, demands exposed to your players. So, for instance, if you want to have more high-speed running, we tend to use a more uh, long but na- narrow pitch to make players able to make those runs in, in the deep. To whereas you shorten the pitch but widen it, it's a wide pitch that you get. Then you get more acceleration, deceleration type play, more intense dual uh, type stuff. So that's what I was mentioning that you always should be aware of what you expose your players to. And from a player perspective, I think there are manufacturers, some manufacturers at the moment, 
which uh, have GPS units available at a lower cost. And then although you may not have the ability to really track those max intensity periods, but let's say you track your match play and uh, you take the 90 minutes, 90 minute match average. From this talk we had just now, you know that there are passages in the play that's higher in output than what you see there. So sometimes you should yeah, really open up, push your training session, push yourself to yeah, prepare yourself for that. Absolutely fantastic. So Reina, massive thanks for your time and effort today. It's been a pleasure talking and uh, I look forward to seeing you very soon. Yeah, thanks a lot, Matt. Thank you, buddy. Pleasure. Cheers, bye. Bye. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Reiner for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Coach Academy. Now, the Coach Academy is a series of lectures broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you want to get some more sports science information, you can get yourself in there completely for free using the link in the show notes in just a few seconds time. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it'd be fantastic if you could recommend us to a coach, a colleague, an athlete, or a friend. That means that we can keep bringing the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.